This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, hello and good morning. Frank Rocker, the sous chef of the garden, all set to welcome our master gardener, Charlie Dobbin, in uh, our shared connection with Joel, our main tech guy. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Frankie. You're coming in loud and clear from your place in Newmarket. What's the weather like there as we record this show for next Saturday? It is an absolutely beautiful morning. Uh, sunny skies, blue skies, almost uh, no clouds out there, and our swans I don't know what's been flying over them, but they're, they're making an awful racket this morning. <laughs> really? Yeah. Have you have you never told us, did you, whether you have baby cygnets or not? Oh, there are six baby cygnets who are not so little anymore. They're growing like weeds. Fantastic, oh. really. Oh, that's amazing. And you still got six. Wow. We had six. We're down to three. Ah. Now, what's it like at your place this morning out there in Prince Edward County? Well, um, you know, it's it's similar to you. Hot, hot, hot. I actually just turned the air conditioning on. Just It's going to be one of those days. But I do understand it is going to cool off as the week goes on. So when people are listening to this show, they're unlikely to have their AC on. Um, yeah. Um, of course, well, I was just going to say that the, the the weather forecasters for when this show will be broadcast on Saturday, they're calling for much cooler conditions. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, so just to to note that this is a recorded show. So instead of our usual live phone call format, we are dealing with emails that people have sent in. And boy, do we have lots of emails. So, Franklin, this might be a good time <laughs> to remind folks we'll need more content for next week's show. All righty. I write you all, Your Majesty. Uh, please send along your gardening questions to Charlie Dobbin. Here's her address, C. Dobbin. That's D-O-B-B-I-N at mzmedia.com. Hey, you're doing so well. You might as well continue to tell folks where to go to review a whole bunch of tips our listeners have shared with me over the years. Yeah, all sorts of tips on gardening available absolutely free. Just go to charliedobbin.com. Really, some fabulous advice. And again, it's free. <laughs> and what about the pot, the free podcast, Frank? Uh, now, wait a minute. How about you covering that, Charlie? I've been doing all the grunt work so far this morning. Gee. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to point out, I do carry this show. You know, you just read the emails. <laughs> anyway, my little minion it, it, who is about to revolt. All right. And in to keep peace, you know, sometimes when you're listening to a particular reply, you might think, Oh, gee, I think I missed an important step there. So don't worry. You can always go back and re-listen to a show. Go to Zoomer Radio and from there go to podcasts um, and all the garden shows over the years, the past 13 years, are are listed there by date. And you can re-hear what you heard this morning or any other date. Okay. Uh, just uh, for this show, for, for instance, uh, wait a couple of days. Give our IT guys a few days to get it uploaded. Okay. 
uploaded. I thought you were going to say downloaded. <laughs> well, I had, I did say downloaded and you corrected me. Say that, Frankie, Frankie, it's uploaded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, you, I, now I missed my chance to be able to slap you around. Oh, but I'm not that mean really. So, so listen, Frankie, um, do you no. think we'll be back in the studio anytime soon so we can do this face to face? And, and how are you doing with all this self isolation stuff anyway? Well, you know, uh, the management's being very cautious about not opening up the studios too soon and i for one really appreciate that but i must confess we've had a few couples visit uh, on the farm to, uh, for instance last night my eldest son kelly and his wife kitty and the kids uh, quinn and maggie came out we had a great time uh kelly was you know cooking up steaks in the barbie and it was just just fantastic and we did observe all the rules of self-distancing of course and how about you and Elliot? Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, talking about visitors because we have been visitor free like for months and haven't seen our kids or anything. But I'm really, uh, you know, like warming the cockles of my heart. My my daughter and a friend came last night sort of for dinner and spent the night. So they're both here now. We are, of course, social distancing throughout this entire visit. But it's just so great to see her, you know, in the flesh instead of through some Zoom call. And then my son will be coming with his friend later in the week just for the day. So they'll just come for lunch. And it's really great. Like, I, you know, I mean, I love my kids. I, I love where I live now. But I just, it's so cool to actually see them face to face it's just really really made me feel good yeah we hadn't seen kelly and the, the kids etc since christmas so wow boy, their their visit was really welcome no okay hey, now that we're well and truly into summertime weather what are your main thoughts as a gardener charlie hey you know what it's all about the weeds Right now is weeding time. Yeah. You can save yourself so much headache in the future if you can get on the weeds now. They're young. They come out easily. They haven't flowered yet. They haven't gone to seed other than the dandelions. So if you're going to put do anything in the garden, pull weeds and save yourself just huge headaches in the future. Okay. Hey, I'm getting the cue from Joel that we should take our first break. So, folks, hang on. Charlie and I are going to return very shortly after we give some time over to our very important sponsors. Hey, absolutely. You know, you and I wouldn't be here without their support. So when you hear the various commercials, like our friends at Stoke Seeds, uh, look at for ways that you can support them, and and we really appreciate the support they give us. That's a great idea. Whoops. Oh, now I'm really getting the word from Joel. The Garden Show, we're back in just a few moments on Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, okay, Charlie, you got a batch of emails there to deal with. Um, here's, here's the first one in from Monica in Newmarket. Says, um, I'm finding that your email approach actually is working quite well. It seems that your show now offers more detailed information during the course of the show. So anyway, uh, to pick up on a question from last week when a caller inquired about tulips not blooming, I have a scenario where I have many daffodils that either don't bloom and or uh, some that do form buds, which then don't bloom, just dry up. What's with that? I planted them to naturalize in the peripheral of a wooded area, deciduous, so Lots of sun in the early spring, leaves coming out now, so shady in the summer. Any chance that the periwinkle could be choking them out? That from Monica. Wow, that's a good question. And and just to be clear, that by the time this show airs, which is what, a couple days from now, this email will be two weeks old. So 
this is the thing about gardening. It gets dated so quickly. So you got to know that Monica's garden has progressed beyond the way this reads. <clears throat> but I think that absolutely that periwinkle is probably the problem. It probably is the competition that is limiting the daffodil's ability to thrive. Um, remember as well, if you got too excited last spring and didn't like the looks of the, the dying down leaves on your daffodils and you removed them too early, that limits the ability of the bulbs to fatten up for the future uh, season. So <clears throat> leaves that are removed too early will affect the following year's growth. Um, too much shade, perhaps? You said no, that it's a bright, full sun, so six hours or more of direct sun is important. Um, the other thing I learned is too much nitrogen. Uh, it, daffodils are very, very um, susceptible to too much nitrogen. You get lots of green leaves, but it will stop the formation of flower buds. So just in case you have been fertilizing, make sure you're using a low nitrogen fertilizer. Uh, bulbs in general, of course, need good drainage. Um, and of course, daffodils are susceptible to some very specific viruses. So take a really close look. Make sure there's no streaks in the leaves or anything that makes you think they could be unhealthy, those bulbs. If so, you're going to dig them and destroy them. There's never, ever been any kind of a cure for viruses and plants. There's, yeah, no, um, inoculations or anything like that for, for plants. Um, and maybe they're too crowded. When bulbs get too crowded, you, uh, you, again, you limit their ability to grow. So it might be time to dig and divide, which we should do every couple of years when we're trying to naturalize bulbs. We will have to lift them and separate them and put them back in after they finish flowering towards the end of the, the green leaf growth. Okay, Monica in Newmarket. Hope that helps. Now, here's a note from uh, Leah and Bruce Carter. Hydrangea says, um, we have this plant for several years with healthy leaves and beautiful flowers. There is a distinct change both in color, holes, and overall appearance. We look forward to your diagnosis and <laughs> suggestions. I think they sent you some pictures, did they not? Yes, they did. I'm not sure if you were able to see the picture. Um, this is an insect that sews the leaves together. And we're really seeing this on a lot of like the Annabelle hydrangeas or any of the mophead hydrangeas. So I had quite a few hydrangeas back in my Richmond Hill garden, and I only first started seeing this insect. It feels like it was only maybe four or five years ago. So they, it's a little tiny caterpillar. It folds the leaf in half, and then it stitches it into like a pod shape. Uh, so what are you going to do about that? Uh, it's a bit of a problem. It looks really quite disgusting. So you've got a couple of options. Um, first off, way back earlier in the spring, <clears throat> when you were cutting down your hydrangea, go as low as you can. Go down to as low as four inches or 10 centimeters above ground level. And when you do that cutting down of the stems, clean up all the debris at the base. Uh, and that way you're going to limit those insects being um, in the area to climb up the shrub as the spring progresses. Um, as soon as you start seeing those, what we call leaf pockets, the little leaf pods, um, <clears throat> as soon as those are ev evident, if you have the time, and willing to do so, open them. Just peel open the leaves, like where they stitched it up with some webbing. Open, remove uh, the little insect that's inside, and um, squish it. Um, or, because <laughs> what you—that's where the flowers are going to be, right? That little insect is is limiting flowers. 
If you cut off the pods, you will have fewer flowers. So that's an option too. Just go through, cut off all those little pods, dispose of them into the garbage, get them off the property, but you also lose uh, some of the flowers this season by doing that. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Just, you know, peeling open and squish or remove and remove right from the property. And I know they're ugly, but what can we do? <laughs> Okay, um, I'm going to jump to question number four here, so we'll save three for just a moment because of the length of the, that email that we've received. Anyway, I've got a nice note here from Heather Sinopoli uh, from the uh, uh, oh, uh, Riverdale. What is it? Uh, Riverdale Hort. Yeah. Riverdale yeah. Hort Society. That's right. And apparently they've canceled their worm casting sale this spring, mm. but may hold it in okay. the fall if conditions are right and the uh, regular customers are interested. And we sure would be out mm -hmm. here on the farm. But anyway, Heather's uh, question is, I often cut back in my uh, tail perennial or tall perennials, that is, in June to control their height and delay blooming. And because of our cold late spring, should I wait till July this year or avoid it completely? Funnily enough, I have never done it with baptisia or false indigo, which, which, uh, whoa, cutting back work with that plant too. There you go. Okay. So this, it's a really good, Heather's reminded me to remind everybody, really good point. With our late flowering uh, perennials, so sedum would be a good example. Mums would be another example. Asters. Now is the time. Well, not now. Now in the next 10 days is the time to cut them down by half their height. To, you know, compost what you're cutting out. These plants will be shorter when they bloom later in the summer and, and bulkier, denser, and they'll bloom a little later than the others, but at least they won't need to be staked or held up, which is a great thing. Uh, we like that and it's, it's worth doing. Baptisia, on the other hand, or false indigo blooms early in the spring. So you wouldn't want to cut that back because you would be cutting back the blooms. Instead, shear your baptisia after blooming and that will help it stay lower. Ra um, a more rounded period appearance. And then, of course, you don't need to stake it. But then again, you lose the seed pods, which are actually very, very attractive. So hard thing to say. If, if baptisia is grown in the shade, you're going to need to stake it no matter what, because it just gets real floppy in the shade. Um, but uh, should she wait to July? I think not. Uh, June and May have turned out to be quite gorgeous. I would be cutting down those perennials like the sedums and, you know, asters, et cetera, by the third week of June this year. So thanks for reminding us about that, Heather, and good luck with the worm castings. Okay. Uh, we have to take our uh, next break here on the show. A uh, reminder, of course, that uh, we'd always love to hear from you. Uh, by all means, send a little question along to Charlie Dobbin. Uh, that's C dot D uh, Dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N at mzmedia.com. And Charlie and I shall return in moments here on Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, back with a question. Here's from uh, one of our regular listeners, Maureen Boyce, who says, I'm not a happy gardener. The cold spell and snow followed by an early heat wave has played havoc with my spring garden. Lost more than half my pansies, lost some annuals too. Have a bumper crop of weeds which have happily joined the yellowing tulips. I have one plant, though, that's growing by leaps and bound, 
hostas, a green giant. Now, it's very close to my lilac bush, not social distancing at all. It has buds now and is about to bloom, gets pale mauve flowers. Is this a bad time to divide it? And then she says, uh, they're taking over one section of my back garden, crawling up the back of my uh, lilac bush. I need to move some. How can I do that? I don't want to kill them. Oh, and <laughs> I love this. I love this P.S. Frank mentioned you drag a wine bag behind you when weeding. Maybe I'll try that. I hate weeding. <laughs> I can't believe the rumors you started about me. I mean, really, I've kind of allowed that too. Uh, I don't. No rumor. <laughs> I, I don't really drag a wine bag around with me. I might drag a bottle around with me, but not a wine bag. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be clear. Um, Maureen sent some pictures, and the, yeah, that's super happy looking hosta. Um, and you, I think you're right. It's been a very. It's actually been a great growing season so far. We've had enough rain for things to grow, including the weeds, but not so much rain like we did last year or the year before where the slugs just took over and devastated the hostas. So your hostas looking very, very nice. It does look to me, it's a big one and it's a multicolored one. Just from the photos, I believe that particular variety or cultivar you have is called Francis Williams. And that does get to be a very large plant. Is this the time to dig and divide it? Not really. You could. I mean, hostas are pretty tough. They're hard to kill. Um, but it would really kind of destroy the look of the plant for the rest of the summer. I would try and wait. Wait until late in the summer. Then you would cut down the leaves. Then you'd use your sharp shovel, dig the whole hosta up, get out a sharp knife, or use, again, your sharp shovel and divide that root that you've dug up out of the ground uh, vertically into whatever number of chunks you want to do that and then replant or give away or whatever the case may be. Uh, or do that in the early spring. But to do it now when it's in full leaf and it's just going to flower is is not going to do the plant any favors. And certainly aesthetically, it's not going to look very good. Okay. Um, let's go international from Christine in Buffalo. Uh, dear Charlie, I love your show. I've been lucky enough to get through a few times. Now, here's my question. I have some May apple plants that my raspberries have invaded. I'd like to transfer the May apple to a different area. Could you tell me when is the best time I can lose the raspberries because they're already out of control? Is there any easy way to make <laughs> them go away? Good luck in your new home, by the way. Yeah, thanks for that, Christine. So I love that. I can lose the raspberries. Is there any easy way to make them go away? Yeah, there's an example where we think, oh, I love raspberries. I think I'll plant some. And then there you are 10 years later going, ooh, I wish I hadn't started put those raspberries <laughs> in as they mm -hmm. do a takeover. So yeah, that's a hard one. Um, the thing that's interesting to me is that May apple thrives in, in partial to full shade. So they're pretty easy. They're kind of edge of the forest kind of plants. They like a really, really very organic, very rich, moist soil. So again, you know, leaf litter kind of soil is where May apples thrive. And yet when we think of raspberries, raspberries will grow in a gravel pit as long as they get lots of sun and good drainage. So having them both grow together, I find kind of interesting. So she hasn't really told us what the conditions are. Um, bottom line is, if you want to get rid of the raspberries and do some work with the May apples, you're going to have to dig the whole mess up. And the time to do that is when the, the roots of the May apple are as dormant as possible. So that's going to be late summer or early fall or very early spring because May apples bloom in May. It's a, they come up very early. Uh, so you're right. The idea is 
do that digging, that dividing, and that replanting either late fall or late summer, early fall, or super early spring. And at that time, you would be digging and removing the raspberries as you go, because there's really no other way to get rid of the raspberries other than to dig them out, I'm afraid to say. Okay. All right. Uh, next note from Barb Paula, and this made me kind of smile. Because uh, my good buddy, Norm Edwards, he and I sound a lot alike sometimes, apparently. But she says <laughs> here, uh, hi, Charlie. I enjoy listening almost every Saturday morning to you and Norm. <laughs> so, I laughed. But if you're going to if you're going to compare me to anybody, I'm delighted you you thought of Norm Edwards, who who is one of our super guys. Yeah, he's certainly. He's, well, yeah, the number one afternoon express with Eva. Gosh, just terrific. Anyway, uh, she says, I've learned so much from you both. My question is, I have a purple leaf sand cherry in my front garden, which faces south. I noticed a large gall, it says, on one of my branches. I, I don't know what that means. Gall. Hmm. The, anyway, the tree's about 40 years old. Can I slice the gall off, or do I need to remove the whole branch? There you go, from Barb. Yeah. Okay, so what's a gall? A gall is a weird growth. Uh, it would be oh. like a tumor on a plant is a gall. Oh, okay. And you can get galls along branches. You can get galls on leaves. Uh, and I've never seen maple leaves with that are all bumpy. They have little protuberances coming out of the top of the maple leaf. Um, that's a gall. That's a very small gall, but it's a gall. So I looked at the pictures that Barb sent, and it's interesting. She said the tree is about 40 years old. I am, um, you know, a 40-year-old purple sand cherry is very unusual. They just are not what we would consider long-lived plants. They are susceptible to all kinds of insect and disease issues. Um, is it the picture is pretty much of a close-ups, so I'm not really seeing um, all the kind of details. It is possible that's a crab apple, but maybe it's a purple leaf sand cherry. Hard to say. Anyway, if the gall is not oozing, there's no liquid coming from it, there's no insect activity around it, I would leave it alone with such an old tree like that. If it's really bothering you, it is unsightly, or if there's any evidence of ooze, then yes, you have to remove it, and you need to, when you cut out a gall, you have to cut out the branch that it's attached to, but you don't just cut it at the gall. You cut it a good 16 to 18 inches below the gall, down towards the main stem. And what I'm seeing in those pictures, I think that might be very hard to do. Um, that's, that gall is right sort of in the center of the tree. So I, I think that'd be a hard one. So you'll have, you'll have to decide what you're going to do. If it's that old of a tree though, and if it's a real favorite loved tree, remember you can always call in the certified arborist for their suggestions on how to do it properly. Cause you don't want to just go slashing away at a plant like that. It'll just really go, it'll start the death. If it's not already dying, it'll just speed up the death of the tree. Okay. See, you learn some every Saturday morning goal. I never heard that word before. How about that? Okay. Uh, note from Nancy, <laughs> Nancy in Hamilton, or uh, maybe that's Nancy Hamilton. I'm not sure. Anyway. Hi, Charlie. I planted my tomatoes and have put the inverted water bottles in beside the plants. Can you please tell us the recipe for skim milk powder and Epsom salts you've mentioned in the past? Also, I tried it last year, and the next morning, the bottles have been dug up by some kind of animal. I'm thinking the skim milk powder attracted them. Is there any way I could prevent this destruction? Sounds like uh, from our good friend there in Tilsonburg, another request for his recipe, right? Exactly. And and we mentioned right off the top at the beginning of the show that uh, on my website, charliedobbin.com, if you go to the top uh, tabs, there is a tab called tips. If you go to tips, 
Uh, it's right in there for the best tomatoes from Warner in Tilsonburg. Now, notice that one of the things Warner says or told us, well, so just to be clear, so everybody understands, there's your, your water bottle. You cut out the bottom of the water bottle. And of course, you take off the cap. You insert the water bottle um, mouth or, you know, neck side down into the soil at the base of each of your tomato plants. And every week you scoop tea to two teaspoons of skim milk powder and one teaspoon of Epsom salts into the open bottle. It's like through that open bottom that you cut out, but then run water into the bottle until all the powder has dissolved. So I'm wondering if perhaps Nancy didn't run enough water. So there was still some of that powder left, which then attracted whatever, a groundhog or something to dig up the bottles to get at the, the skim milk powder. So remember, run lots of water. The powder has to be completely dissolved. And of course, will then gravity will take it all down into the soil. And you shouldn't have destruction if you follow Warner's um, absolute uh directions here. So for anybody who wants to see more tips or, or read that tip from Warner, charliedobbin.com under tips. And uh, Warner swears by this, doesn't he? I mean, he says he gets the best and the biggest darn tomatoes going. Fine. Uh, he has bragged quite extensively <laughs> about his tomatoes. We have challenged him to bring some into us, or we might, we've you know told him we were going to come and yeah. taste some because he really he's pretty proud of his tomatoes. <laughs> okay, here's a note from. Oh, we're going international again from Fredonia, New York. Aaron Smith writes, uh, "What do you recommend I do to keep deer at bay in my backyard? Is there anything you can suggest? It seems I've tried every re remedy under the sun." They even uh, love eating plants that are, quote, deer resistant. I want my backyard back. I love the radio show. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Hey, so this is another one where Sean James was a guest on The Garden Show. Yep. Uh, and he did give us his recipe. And again, this is on charliedobbin.com tips uh, to, de to deter deer. Uh, Sean James says, mix two eggs, two cups of milk, two tablespoons of olive oil, plus that same amount dish soap, add two liters of water. So you've got everything's twos, two eggs, two cups of milk, two tablespoons olive oil, two tablespoons dish soap, and two liters of water all in a big pail or a container. Add a dash of cayenne pepper, because that won't hurt at all. Mix Pour all this mess into a spray, bo spray bottle. Spray your susceptible plants until they're dripping. Apparently, this spray, if you coat your susceptible plants, this will last for up to a month. Like rain doesn't wash it off right away because of all the eggs and stuff. And it does uh, work really well to deter deer. Um, the other thing is, remember, I, I know that uh, Aaron indicates that the deer are eating absolutely everything. If the deer are really hungry, they will eat everything. But the plants that they typically won't eat are the, the spiny ones, the furry ones, uh, the ones, yeah, prickly ones, the bad tasting ones. So deer um, are a bit selective. So, you know, remember that as well. Choose plants that are going to be as deer resistant as possible. Fencing. I know people will swear by a six foot fence to keep the deer away from the, the favorite garden plants. Um, and then, you know, there's always that option to feed the deer, uh, their own, just set up a beer, deer feeding station so they'll stay out of your garden. And people do that, right? They'll, they'll actually feed, um, you know, feed the squirrels so they won't dig up your bulbs or feed the raccoons so they won't, you know, dig up your, your lawn. There's all kinds of ways to try and work with nature. Um, and you know, frankly, I've got a lot of nature in my 
Avenue property, including bird's nest, killdeer bird's nest right in the gravel, right in the middle of my driveway. So we're, we're being very careful to not run over some of the nature that's in our, in our, our property right now. <laughs> you know, as you were reading that recipe from Sean, uh, I, I couldn't help but thinking, who the heck ever devises these recipes, you know? <laughs> and and then that made me think of the, the one question has always bugged me. Who the heck was the first person to ever try an oyster? I mean, really? Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. No yeah. kidding. Boy, that looks yummy. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, we have to take our next break. I'm getting the nudge in the ribs here. Um from Joel that we have to take this break. So let's do that, Charlie. Come back with more emails here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we have a nice note here from David Heron. Says, I'm looking uh, for a good hybrid tea rose, red if possible. What kind would you suggest? I have two others on the south side of my home that I've had for years. I had three, but lost one over the winter. So I'm looking to replace it. And so notes here that I listen to your garden show on Saturday whenever possible. Thanks. Looking forward to your reply. Happy trails, <laughs> David Heron. <laughs> All right. So I, you know, what's my best answer for this is, Go to your local garden center, because David doesn't tell us where he lives. So go to, go to your local garden center and um, see what they recommend, because different garden centers carry different roses from different suppliers. I would not recommend the big box stores for roses. I wouldn't go to Home Depot or something like that. Um, I would go to a Sheridan Nurseries or, or you know, if you're in the St. Catharines area, you're going to find all kinds of wonderful um, garden centers that carry roses. Uh, grown by one of the best rose growers now in Ontario that I know of is J.C. Bacher, and they they are in the St. Catharines area. They are wholesalers, but they do um, all kinds of really good quality, you know, Canadian-born, Canadian-raised roses. Uh, and one that they recommend as a beautiful, beautiful red hybrid tea is called Canadian Sunset. So Canadian Sunset is kind of cool because it's got red petals on the upper uh, um, side, side of the petals and yellow on the back side. So it's what we call a bicolor rose. So it's, we call it, so it's red with a yellow on the reverse. So as the, as the flower opens, it looks like a sunset because you see both colors at the same time. When it's in bud, you would see yellow. Um, anyway, that was just a good, that's a nice suggestion. It's a beautiful rose if you can find Canadian sunset. But otherwise, I would ask the advice, see what your local garden centers have in the way of red hybrid tea roses and uh and and do that okay okay that sounds like a beautiful uh, rose mm. it really does mm -hmm. okay here's a nice note from Marilyn who says good morning charlie and frank i enjoy the show every saturday morning also the garden tips i hear throughout the week now i hear you mention that the extra leaves on daffodils are baby bulbs gathering energy is it the same for tulips and then a follow-up question also i have a yucca plant that's trying to take over the whole garden 
So this year, I chopped down the new plants that had grown in front of the original plant, so my spring garden had room to grow and bloom. I see the yuccas that I cut down are growing new leaves. Help me, Marilyn. <laughs> Funny, eh? Uh, okay, question. This is a sneaky person, right? Marilyn's got two questions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So her number one question, extra leaves on daffodils, are they baby bulbs? Yes, they are. Give them time. As they get bigger and bigger and more mature, they will eventually flower. And remember, eventually you're going to dig and divide your daffodils so you'll have maximum flowers in the spring. Number two, the yucca plant. All right, so remember how yuccas work. Yuccas are those uh, spiny, looks almost like a, um, you know, a New Mexico kind of plant, right? It's like an agave. It's those spiny green plants that will flower. When they flower, it's that white flower sticks, goes, grows straight up through, through the center of the, the yucca plant. You know, very showy white flowers midsummer. And once they flower, typically you'll find that that plant will die. However, baby plants or daughters from the mother will grow from the side of where the big mother plant was. So what you want to do, I know it sounds like a lot of work, but what you want to do is you want to go in there and you want to dig and with a sharp shovel, sever some of those daughters from the mother. So as long as you've got some leaf and some stems, some roots and some stem to in your piece that you chop off the mother plant, you can start a new yucca and um, bottom line is you want to get rid of the big old one. So the, the one, that old one in the center is, is the one you want to dig out and you want to keep some of the young ones that you're cutting down and allow one to grow or a few to grow, but don't, uh, don't try and maintain that big one because the, the big one isn't going to do you any favors. It's never going to bloom again. Okay. Uh, as we're going along here this morning, sometimes I'm, I'm trying to remember some of the things and some of the lessons I should have learned, but obviously haven't. Um, thinking of folks <laughs> who are like me, who tend to forget things. The uh, numbers that come on a bag of fertilizer, for instance, say 10, 30, 10, or 10, 20, 30. Mm -hmm. Could you remind everybody yeah. what those numbers represent? Okay. So so those three numbers, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, like one would be a 15, 30, 15. Right. Uh, it's actually one of my all-time favorite fertilizer analysis. So 15, 30, 15, the first 15 represents nitrogen. The 30 represents phosphorus. And the third number, which is also a 15, represents potassium. And these are essential macronutrients. These are nutrients required by plants in larger quantities than the other essential micronutrients that they need. So that's why it's always listed on the, uh, the fertilizer bag like that. So we have different formulations for different plants. When we're trying to encourage plants to flower and we, we have flowering plants, could be a fruit tree, it could be a, a rose, we want that higher middle number. So that's where the 153015 comes in. So that encourages blooms versus a lawn where we don't particularly want blooms. We want green growth, green stems and green leaves. You'll have, see it have a higher first number. So the nitrogen will be the first. Uh, so it might be a 2177 for a turf or a, a grass fertilizer. So different numbers in different ratios will feed and encourage different kinds of growth. And you don't need to have 50 different kinds of fertilizers in your garage. Instead, you just need to say to yourself, what is it I'm trying to encourage? <clears throat> like, what nutrient am I trying to give my plants in an effort to get what it is I'm trying to grow, whether it's flowers or fruits or, or like a nice green lawn? Okay. Uh, 
Gee whiz, we're coming up to our next break here, our final break of the show. So let's see if we can get to question number 13, which would, I think, equal our record for questions on the show, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, back in just a couple of moments, Charlie Dobbin, of course, here with her garden show on Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we have a note here from Ann Cavanaugh. says, hi, Charlie. On Mother's Day, I received a potted miniature rose, a Cordana rose, according to the info stick. It's both blooming and growing well. My question is, does this houseplant need trimming and fertilizer at some point? What do you say, Charlie? Well, you know, mini roses are great. Everybody loves those. Um, typically, the Cordana roses can be planted outdoors if she'd like to take it outside. Uh, however, it might might not be hardy enough to last the winter. So what, uh, what I would do if she can, one of two choices. One is outside for the summer, lots of sun, uh, trimming and fertilizing. Yes, always trim off dead blooms, just like you would, you know, we call that deadheading. So care, do that just with your miniature rose, the same as you would with any rose and fertilizer yep roses love food so just an all-purpose kind of a rose food or one of those you know like i said a 15 30 15 something that's going to encourage blooms good idea mix fertilizer according to package directions and water um now if you do fertilize as per the directions many of the fertilizer companies want you to use it every two weeks all summer if you did that you're going to need to repot this rose into a bigger pot probably um i know it's probably in a little four inch pot right now and you may need to go up to a six inch before the summer is over so it just depends how the plant is doing watch for roots growing out the bottom of the pot that will tell you it's time to pot it up to a bigger size and and of course it needs to come in before frost and when it does come inside or if it's inside all summer make sure it's in the absolute sunniest spot in your in your home so preferably a southern window ledge or a western window right in the window and yeah trim trim for shape turn the plant in the window 180 degrees every couple of days keep it balanced and uh, yeah it should keep blooming for you if it gets enough sun and enough heat and and fertilizer is going to help as well Okie dokie. Uh, here's a note from Barbara Lawson, who lives in Mountain Road in Niagara Falls. Uh, good morning, Charlie. I've enjoyed your show so much in the past and presently. It's more precious. <laughs> Thank you both. I have a three-year-old bush called Copertina. It has a grayish powdery bloom on the leaves and some stems are affected. It's in a very sunny spot, lots of air circulation, not really near other plants. Is there a spray I can use that you know of? Any suggestions would be appreciated. And she says, P.S., I did tell it to shape up or ship out, <laughs> but it's just not listening. And I think she sent you a photo to have a peek at that. Yeah, she did. Well, it's really common. So Copertina is a cultivar of a plant called nine bark, commonly called nine bark. Proper name is physocarpus, but you don't care about that. It's a shrub. It's very commonly grown. Uh, nice leaves. It's actually, a, I'm pretty sure nine bark is a native shrub too. And there's been a fair amount of breeding done on it. So the, the traditional nine bark had green leaves, very showy flowers. Um, yeah, sort of right around now in the next few weeks. So Copertina is just um, copper colored leaves and it's very ornamental whether it's flowering or not because of those, those leaves. 
leaves. Now, the fungus you see on it is a powdery mildew, very common, I'm afraid to say, on nine bark. Um, so what do you do? It is, um, it's, it is a, when you do see powdery mildew, it's because the environment is conducive for powdery mildew to grow. And you will often see it on many plants when you see it on your nine bark. You'll see it on lilacs. You'll see it on roses. Um, you'll see it on a whole bunch because powdery mildew is not host specific. It, all it needs is, Certain kind of warm temperatures, gray days, high humidity, you know, all the, the wonderful things that support fungal growth. When that happens, it tends to happen right across the gamut on many, many plants. What do you do? Well, you can do everything in your power to maintain as good of air circulation around these plants. Less fungus will always grow where you've got good air and good uh, sun penetration. So trimming that nine bark to open it up so that you, you know, you do say that it's in a sunny spot, it's got lots of air circulation, and it's not crowded around other plants. So that's all good. What spray to use? There is something called serenade, and serenade is... Uh, a fungicide. It's a sulfur-based fungicide, and and any garden center would have a liquid sulfur-based fungicide for sale now. Usually, we try and be preemptive, and we try and prevent fungal diseases because it's very, very hard to kill them. You you can never eradicate a fungus. You can only treat it, uh, slow it down, um, or prevent. So yeah, um, if you want to have, keep some of that on hand, get yourself a fungicide, have it on hand and watch the weather because the weather is going to be what really makes it happen or not. If it gets ni- nice and dry and windy, sunny, you're unlikely to see any kind of problems on your, your coppertina at all. Oh, okay. In the time remaining, I've jumped to our question from Shirley Parker, since I think it would be a shorter one to deal with uh, mm-hmm. based on our time here. Uh, Charlie, I have a shamrock plant I got in March. Until now, it's bloomed and been very healthy. Now its leaves are starting to wilt, and I presume it's going into a dormant period. Should I be putting it into a cool spot? For a few weeks, that from Shirley Parker. Um, yeah, good question. Um, so shamrocks are little bulbs. So when you have a pot full of shamrock leaves, you know, like four-leaf clovers, uh, the proper name is oxalis. When you've got that growing in a pot, uh, it is tiny, tiny little bulbs down there. Usually, I mean, it can have a dormant period, though I have seen them live and stay green all the time. What, do cut back on your watering. Things are starting to wilt. Just stop watering and let it just chill out, dry down. It will tell you when it wants to grow again. It'll start to shoot up green leaves again, and then you're back in business with some consistent watering. You, I wouldn't necessarily put it in a cool, dry spot. I would just just stop watering and let it do its have a rest. Um, some of those bulbs, it could have been overwatered a tiny bit, um, but uh, there it is. Okay, and there it is, too. We've come to the checkout. Can you believe it? That time just went like that this morning. Wow. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, we're, wow. we're fresh out of time. Oh, uh, and we could do a two-hour show because we have enough questions. <laughs> yeah. So maybe hold off on the emails because they soon get out of date. But uh, thank you so much to all the folks who did take the time to send you those mm-hmm. uh, questions and photographs, too. And, Joel, yeah. thank you, my friend. Yeah, no kidding. Thank you, Franklin, for helping me and being there for me up in your beautiful cabin in the woods. And I appreciate all your help. And obviously, you couldn't do it without Joel. Great questions from our listeners. So see you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.